Well, for our last installment in summer school, I thought we would talk about money. And some of you are sitting there saying, why didn't you tell me that? I wouldn't have come. Don't turn off your uh, computer if you're watching at home. There's a big reason that we're going to talk about wisdom and wealth, and that's because money and how we handle it, what you do with your wealth, is all over the book of Proverbs. In fact, I read a couple of things this week that said over 100 verses in Proverbs have to, has to deal with money and how we use our money. Hundreds of verses in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, talk about money. Many of Jesus' parables talk about money. And it's an active, dynamic force in our lives. We wrestle with how to earn it, how to get rid of it. And so we need to talk about money because the Bible does and because that's the world in which we live. Well, we're going to look at some good news and bad news today on a number of different fronts. First of all, we need to talk about the good news and bad news of our culture. You say, I thought we were going to talk about money. Yeah, but culture influences how we think and what we do and how we act with our money. For example, you have a financial advisor, whether it's a professional financial advisor or not. Your parents were your first financial advisors. Isn't that right? And you learned Money is something you don't talk about, or money is something you do talk about. Is money, is money um, to be spent or money to be saved? Is money to be hoarded or money to be freely given away? Do you have to balance the checkbook each month or not? We learn from our parents. Then as we go through life, we either adopt or adapt those habits, and we go through life just kind of skimming through without giving much thought to what we do with money, culture then impacts us. Well, let me give you some good news. I love living in the world today. I love living in our culture because I like comfort and convenience. I like having a computer that can store and retrieve data quickly. I like having an iPad so I can watch the game and surf online and play games online at the same time. I like air conditioning and heat. I like that. I like having a car because if we all rode horses, we would all stink. Um, comfort and convenience. I love living in the world today. I can't imagine living in a world 100 years ago. Life was hard. Life was difficult. Now it's easy. It's filled with convenience. It's full of comfort. And our culture is also dangerous, isn't it? It's a good culture, and it's good to live here, but there are dangers associated with it. And those dangers, when it comes to money and wealth, kind of has to do with a cycle. One of those dangers has to do, it goes like this. I want more, so I have to work more to earn more. Then I acquire more, and I have to hoard more, and when I hoard more, I want more. Do you live in that cycle? Sure you do. You live in America. Advertisers promote that circle, right? We live in a world of planned obsolescence. Do you know manufacturers of products that we all use, they plan, they build the things that we buy to break. So you have to buy another one. Or maybe it's perceived obsolescence. It's still functioning fine, but you need a new one. I know, answer honestly. 
How many of you have ever bought a new cell phone before you were able to do so at no cost? Yeah, you're all lying, right? <laughs> when the new iPhone comes out, you've got to buy it right away. That's perceived obsolescence. When it breaks or it wears out, that's planned obsolescence. We live in, a, we live in that want more circle, right? And you want more, so you have to work more, to make more, to acquire more, to hoard more, and then you want more. That's a dangerous place to live. Every culture had that to some degree. Our culture has that on steroids, doesn't it? We live in that cycle. That culture is dangerous because that culture causes us to never live with contentment. We're always on that treadmill living out one aspect or other of that cycle. Well, there's also good news and bad news when it comes to money. And the Bible actually speaks about both of those, good news and bad news of culture and good news and bad news about money. Uh, let me mention a few proverbs that have to do with the good news about money. Uh, here's one of the proverbs that talks about good news and money. Money is a good gift, and here we go. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth, right? And so here's how it works. Proverbs threads the needle. Don't read this and say, oh my goodness, he's saying everybody in poverty is lazy. I'm not saying that. Remember, Proverbs, not case law. Proverbs, not promises. Proverbs, observations about life that tend to be true. And what's this proverb saying? If you're disciplined, if you're self-controlled, if you work hard, if you're creative, if you apply yourself, if you use the skills God gave and you work at something, you will be prosperous. That's normally how it works, right? The Protestant work ethic kind of grew right out of Proverbs, but Proverbs threads the needle. Proverbs also says poverty may come not from laziness. Poverty may come from oppression, poverty may come from injustice. So Proverbs has both sides of the coin. We're looking at the good news, and the good news is God gives wealth, God gives prosperity, God gives what we need as a blessing. And Proverbs says God blesses by giving us stuff and by meeting our material needs. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. Well, as long as we're talking about the good news, we do have to say that there's a verse in the New Testament that uh, is often used when we talk about money, and it's never or rarely quoted correctly. For Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy, and here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Dangerous, right? Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves themselves with many griefs. Now notice, it does not say money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. God kind of made life, and we live in a world where you need money to live. You need money to transact life. The love of money, prioritizing money, that's where the danger comes from. So money is a good gift from God. Thank God for the resources we have. Thanks for the skills that you have, the abilities you have, the discipline you have. Live in a way that, that you earn a living and you more than you need, you're able to generously give to others. But the Bible also tells us that money's dangerous. And I can't think of a better place to speak about some of the danger of money 
than Proverbs. Now, we're going to have to do a little work to get to my point, all right? So last day of summer school, stay awake. No sloughing off, right? You'll flunk. Um, uh, you're going to have to work with me in looking at uh, some, of, some of these verses and how it works out. So in Proverbs 10, we read this verse. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Okay, now you need to kind of transition from our culture back to uh, the culture when Proverbs was written. What did a city provide? Well, most of the time, a city in the ancient world was encircled by a wall. So inside the city, there was safety. Inside the city, there was security. You were safe from vigilantes. You were safe from robbers. You were often safe from storms. You could hide behind the wall, right? You were safe from a lot of the forces that if you don't live in the city, you would often fall prey to. There was safety and security inside the city. But if you're really poor and you can't afford to live in the city, you're often left to all of those forces and left to those devices. There's great danger, uncertainty, insecurity outside the city, inside the city, safety and security. But not just that. Significance comes from living in a city, right? That was true in the ancient world and true today, right? I'm from Rome. I come from Babylon. I come from Jerusalem. There was prestige that went with that, right? How about in our world? I'm from New York City, Miami, London, Tokyo, Dubai, Paris, Naples, Venice, right? Those places when those names are given, when people are speaking and they drop the name of their city, they're not doing it for safety and security reasons. They're doing it for significance and uh, for respect reasons, right? For example, if you're traveling around, you say, uh, I'm from Salerton. I mean, people automatically look up to you, right? Uh, I'm from Hatfield. Yes, well, I can't believe it. Um, I, I read an article this week in the New York Post that said, New York City is the most bougie city in the world, right? People want to be from New York. That's where fashion happens. That's the financial center, right? So here's what cities provide. Cities provide safety, security, and significance. That was true much more than it is now. The significance piece is still true. So... What does our verse say? The wealth, of the, city, the, wealth, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, right? They, they find safety, security, and significance in their city. But if you're poor and you can't live in the city, you live an insecure life. You live um, possibly falling prey to other elements. Now, if you jump a couple chapters ahead, as this verse already did, um, Proverbs 18, here's what you read in, uh, go, go back to just uh, verse 11 first. There we go. Now, notice, in a few chapters later, in Proverbs 18, the first line is repeated, right? So, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. But now, 
there's a new second line, right? The old line was, but those that live in poverty, they're not able to live in the city, right? They're living uh, in insecurity. They're living in danger. This verse says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Now look, they imagine it a wall too high to scale. What's the writer doing now? The writer's saying, yeah, wealth's kind of a dangerous deal here. And here's why it's a dangerous deal. Because if you live in the city, your, your, wealth, right? if your wealth is often pictured as a city. What does your wealth often bring? Safety, security, and significance. Isn't that interesting? The same things that a city used to bring, someone's wealth is perceived to bring. And so isn't it true? You may not say where you're from, but you say, uh, I'm safe and secure because I've got enough in the bank to weather whatever may come. I know they're all talking about, you know, there may be a recession. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've got enough investment. I've got enough in retirement. I own enough property. I've got it covered. I'm safe and secure. And you know what? I'm significant too. I can wear what other people can't wear. I drive what they can't drive. I, vaca I vacation where they don't. Not just safety and security, I'm significant. And before you know it, the same elements that were true of a city become true of us and our wealth. And we look down on others that may not have the same amount of wealth. And we begin to think we're better. Notice what this verse says. Um, they imagine. They imagine. It's a wall too high to climb. No problem in having wealth. To some degree, it brings safety, security, and significance. No, nothing wrong with that yet. But here's the problem. If you're not careful you can begin to think your wealth, your holdings, whatever you have, you can begin to think that those things bring ultimate safety, ultimate security, ultimate significance. Now we've got a problem. Because your wealth has now gone from being a good gift to being your God. And you begin to think you are safe and secure. You are somebody. Not because of who you are in Jesus in the gospel, but because of who you are because of your holdings, your portfolio, and what you own. Notice what the writer of Proverbs does in 18. He adds a first verse to reinforce the point. So let, let's read the second verse again. The wealth of the riches they're fortified. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. I'm ultimately safe. I'm ultimately secure. I'm ultimately significant because of what I own. But notice what the first verse said. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Huh. So where are you running? Where are you running for your safety? Where are you running for your security? Where are you running for your significance? Here's why the Bible and why Proverbs talk so much about money. I, I, I think I, I know the reason. Here's why. Because nothing like money is an alternate God. 
What does God provide in the gospel? Safety, security, significance. What does money promise? What do possessions, what does acquisitions promise? Safety, security, significance. You see, what only the gospel gives, money promises to give. It can't deliver it, but those that have it feel safe, secure, right? We feel secure, and we imagine that our portfolio, our holdings, we imagine it's a wall too high to scale. Other Proverbs say things like this. What good is your wealth on the day of wrath? The day you're about to die, what's your portfolio going to do for you that day? Is it really going to matter what you drive when you're going to the cemetery? Um, the Bible's crystal clear, right? And part of the reason money masquerades. Money provides an alternative, and we feel that, don't we? We live with that reality. Safety, security, significance. Only Jesus can provide those ultimately. Money, possessions, wealth, promises what it can't deliver. Well, let's talk about a few uh, good news and bad news items by way of uh, financial freedom. Right? I don't want to leave you hanging on the wall like that, right? Let's talk about some good news and bad news about financial freedom. I'll kind of weave them through. We're not going to have good news, bad news section. We'll kind of believe, like, go through it like this. If you've been dozing off a little bit or you're going to fall asleep in the next couple of minutes, all you have to really know is the first one. It's all God's stuff. It's all his stuff. And the second corollary goes like this. He has lent you some of his stuff. For a little while. Isn't that true? It's all his stuff. And he's lent you a little bit of it. Just for a little while. And at the end, just like when you play Monopoly, it all goes back in the box. And the box get put away, gets put away, and you continue on, and the money goes back in the box. Oh, yeah. There's a final exam one day where you'll be evaluated on how you did with the stuff God lent you for a little while. So since we're in summer school, a final's coming. It's not today. Thank goodness, right? It's not today. Um, you get a final exam one day. And one of the questions is going to be, so let's talk about what you did with all my stuff that I lent you as a steward, not as an owner. Most of you in this room have raised kids, maybe have grandkids. Isn't it amazing how they argue about what belongs to them? Um, I, I shake my head sometimes when I see my two grandsons, right, six and three, here what they fight about. That's mine, Jeffrey Carter. It's a broken seashell, right? It's a crown that has the point worn down. It's a piece of paper that five minutes from now, nobody's going to care about. It's a pair of shoes that don't fit the other one. It's, and here's the reality. None of it's theirs. They didn't buy any of it. They don't own any of it. And what, what do parents do? What did you, you kind of almost pull your hair on and say, it's my stuff. It's not, and you know what? I'm going to take my stuff away from you if you don't treat my stuff with a little more respect and you don't, be, and you don't live a little more generously with your siblings. I wonder how often God feels like about that, right? 
What are you talking about? Your stuff. It's all my stuff. I've lent you a little bit. How do parents feel when kids, uh, you know, maybe one or two seconds in their entire lives, when they're generous and share with each other? It's amazing, right? And as a parent, when, you're, when your child does that, you're, you want to give them more and more, right? You can't, but most of the time they're fighting over it. Mine, mine. It's all God's stuff. He lent us a little bit for a little while. Goes back in the box. And then you get a final exam. How'd you do with the stuff he lent you for just a little while? And here's the second point we need to remember. Greed's alive and well. And you know what? That's one of the real dangers of living in our culture. Our culture feeds this. What's most advertising and marketing based on? Greed. Right? Marketing, it's all about greed, right? Wanting what you don't need by spending money you don't have to get what you'll rarely use and your kids will have to throw out when you're gone. Isn't that the cycle? Right? Greed's a, you ever wonder in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, why Jesus a couple times says, now, watch out, be aware, be careful, greed's lurking. You want to know why he uses watch out language? Because we're all deceived. Assume you're deceived. You don't have to have a lot of money to be greedy. You don't have to be broke to be greedy. That greed is that want more. Greed works off of this principle. My safety, security, significance come from what I own, what I possess, what I can get my hands on. That's not where ultimate safety, security comes from. Assume we're deceived. Assume we have the problem. And then you can ask the right set of questions to maybe get out of it a little bit. Next lesson. Money's a test and a tool. You know what? It's summer school, right? What do tests do? Tests show you what you know or don't know and grow you as you study to live out those principles. Tests show you and grow. Nothing like money will do that. So uh, here would be a good assignment for you. Think back over your expenditures. This month, here, we got like a few months, eight, eight months this year, right? Think back over the last eight months. Or, you know, sit down with your checkbook or your uh, credit card statements. You read through. What did you spend most of your money on? I don't know what you spent it on, but I know this. Whatever you spent the most money on is the high, a high priority to you. If God, God's work, advancing his plan shows up nowhere, the reality is his plan and the gospel aren't that significant to you. Because money is a mechanism through which we either latch, lash our lives or sink our pillars into what really matters to us. And so if you find it easy to spend money for clothes, but difficult to give the first Sunday of the month when we're giving that to international ministries, that's telling you something. That's a little bit of a test, right? If you can easily spend money on vacations, even going in the red to go on that vacation, but you find it difficult to give to someone in need, that's, that's a test, right? I'm not saying you pass or fail. It's not up to me. But it kind of shows you what your priorities are, what your values are. And it shows you your, your treasure will follow whatever you're loving and what your priorities are. So follow your checkbook, follow your expenses, to what you're really loving and what are your priorities. But it's also a tool. Money's a tool. You can make adjustments. 
Um, I usually say at weddings something like this. Jesus makes a a really interesting statement. He says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is. You ever notice that? And so here's what I often say to those couples. I'm I'm not saying I want to do your wedding. I'm just saying here's what I'm saying. Um, I say, you two stand and you're in front of all your guests, and you're obviously in love. It's, it's like nauseating how in love you are. And you can't keep your hand. You want the service to be over. I understand, right? Here's why you feel that way. Because over the last number of months and years, you've been making deposits into each other's lives. You've been sacrificing time. You've been sacrificing energy. You've been sacrificing money. You've been making deposits into each other's lives. Oh, yeah, Jesus was right. Where your treasure is, there your heart. Your treasure has been put into the other person, and your heart's following your treasure. That's true for us, too. That's the tool part. What are you making deposits in? Your heart's going to follow your treasure. So it's a test to show you what you're treasuring. It's also a tool to help you start treasuring the right things, the wise things. Next lesson. That one hurts too much. Enjoy what you have and give generously. Um, We talked about our kids, right? When you give your kid a gift, how would you feel if they never, oh, I don't want to break it. I don't want to mess with it. I'm never going to open it. I'm never going to use it. You'd be a little ticked off, right? You say, well, what's your problem, right? If you break it, I, we, I'll get you another one, right? You, but what do we do? God's given us, what, enjoy what you have, right? Enjoy what you have. Be content and enjoy what you have. Oh, yeah, and give generously. Don't give half-heartedly. Don't give begrudgingly. Give generously. Which really brings us to the last lesson. Real financial freedom is always and only rooted in the gospel. We don't give generously to follow Jesus' example only. We give generously because he has given so generously to us. Now we've got an enormous amount that we can give. You know what a philanthropist is? A philanthropist is someone that has so much stuff They can't spend it on themselves, and so they generously give to other people. We should all, Christians, we should be living as philanthropists. God has given us so much in the gospel, materially and immaterially. Generously give that. So here's the verse I want to end with. The financial freedom verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the gospel. That though he was rich, I mean, imagine before the incarnation, right? Worshipped by angels. They waited with bated breath for him to whisper he may want something. He gave it all up, and for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. That's the gospel. As we live that out, not just with possessions and money, but that's one aspect of it, we will continually recognize Jesus, infinitely rich, gave it all up and became poor so that we, through his poverty, 
might become rich. Not just an example. He provides that resource so now we can give generously to others. Money's a test and a tool. It's all God's stuff. Thank him for lending you whatever he's given you for a real short time. And when it's all over, it all goes back in the box. And you get a final exam on how you functioned as a steward with what he lent you for just a little while. What an awesomely gracious and loving God. Let's pray. Father, we're quickly overwhelmed when we think of what you've given us. Not just materially, but you've given us forgiveness. You've given us grace. You've given us a community. You've given us the spirit that works those principles into our hearts and then through us to the benefit of other people. And Lord, you've blessed us incredibly with possessions and things that we have. Lord, may we uh, stay away from the dangers of our culture, that comparison world that will, sap our, that will sap our contentment. And help us to look at Jesus, infinitely rich, becoming poor, so we can become rich. Help us to live that out day to day, this week, through Calvary Church. We pray in his name. Amen.